Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On the last episode of Guilt. There is nothing that would say that somebody would be going to a meeting before they have been accepted because that would not happen. It's possible maybe Jim might have seen joining the Freemasons as a way to kind of get ahead at work. Well, that's, if, if there is, I'm not aware of that. But if there is, he could well have thought that was a good idea, yes. It's violence that may disturb some people. Today we can officially announce that New Zealand Steel has cracked the code. Of June 2004, scientist Jim Donnelly vanished from his work at the Glenbrook Studio. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. started in this episode, I just want to remind you about our Brevity Plus subscription. For a small monthly fee, or a discounted yearly fee, you can get early access. Every episode is available ad-free and a week early for subscribers. Plus, you'll have access to bonus content. I always try to include as much of the key interviews as possible, so you have all the relevant information to form your own opinion, but oftentimes, There just isn't enough time to include everything. 
subscribers have access to extra bonus episodes, which include extended interviews with important witnesses, some up to two hours long. We often get messages from subscribers related to this bonus material, as there can be more insight to be gleaned. There will also be a standalone episode of this season titled Hearsay that will be released in the next couple weeks, which will cover some largely unknown but interesting theories regarding Jim's disappearance. This episode will be available only to subscribers. And if you really love this content and how it's put together, then you're really going to love some of the other brand new true crime podcasts Brevity Studios will be releasing this year and in the future. Brevity Plus subscribers will have exclusive early access to these new podcasts. And of course, by subscribing, you'll be greatly helping make this and upcoming podcasts possible. It's because of you that I'm able to make all of this happen. And thank you so much for that. Apple users can subscribe via the Apple app and non-Apple users can subscribe via Acast Plus. You'll find the link in the description of every episode. Okay, now that's enough promo for me. This episode is, in my opinion, possibly the most important one yet. So let's get into it. When I started this podcast, I came into it with no bias whatsoever. And I think that's always been one of my strengths in life. I tend to have the ability to look at any given situation objectively and logically and not be influenced by rumor or hysteria. Just the facts. As you'll be aware, one of my favorite principles of theory is Occam's razor, which basically means that when analyzing a given problem, the solution that is constructed with the smallest number of possible elements tends to be the correct one. We can simplify this further to say, more or less, it's the most logical solution or the simplest one that will most times be correct. If there was ever a case that required a clear head and sound reasoning, the case of Jim Donnelly's disappearance is it. As we move into these final few episodes, I want you to try and clear your head, step outside the case, and look at all the events that took place, and really think, are these all as disconnected and crazy as they look? Or is there some sense here? Because I believe the solution may be right there, if you know where to look. I was a team leader um, uh, for New Zealand Steel uh, in the uh, in the rolling mills, um, and I um, I had a lot to do with Jim in terms of my my professional uh, time there um, because he was my production engineer or what you call process engineer. My goal when I started this podcast was to speak to every person that saw Jim that final morning before he disappeared, or has any relevant evidence to add. I've spoken to every one of these people throughout this podcast, and almost without fail, they've been able to shine more of a light on what actually took place. But there's one key person I haven't been able to track down. Finally, only recently, I was able to make contact with one of the last people to see Jim alive. His name is Stephen Morris. He's long since retired from the mill, but he can vividly recall the events of that day. As it turns out, 
They've weighed heavily on his mind for the last 18 years. Stephen and Jim worked closely together for many years and got to know Jim both professionally and to a degree personally. So, yeah, I, had a, I did have a bit to do with Jim. Um, and um, probably on a, on a more personal basis, um, Jim used to come in on the weekends and um, not every weekend, but on sometimes on a Saturday. And I'd, if I was on shift, I'd sit with him in his uh, office and discuss, obviously, work. And sometimes we'd discuss personal stuff. Okay, well, wow. But it was, definitely more, it was definitely more professional. Yeah. Okay, and how many years would you say roughly you worked with Jim for? I guess it would have been a few years. Okay, yeah, okay. So so long enough that you, you sort of got to know him well enough sort of Oh, thing. I, I think I, I definitely think I formed an opinion of Jim, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, well, I mean, why don't you tell me sort of what, what would that sort of opinion be? I mean, tell me about how well, the Jim that you knew... The, the gym that I I perceived that I knew uh, was he was a very he was like he was very professional he was um, sort of he could be very one dimensional um, in his approach um, you know um, he was he was obviously he appeared to be a very bright man um, and um, my relationship with him uh, professionally in terms of what we we had to do um, with my New Zealand Steel side was. Um, was always um, he was always very good at what he did, uh, very thorough. Um, he probably maybe, if I could use the term, I don't think it was upset, but maybe he just um, he could get under people's skin a little bit because he was so probably pedantic and in, in his approach to um, his work, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was never he was never nasty with it or anything like that. He was just he was just um, yeah he was just Jim um, and. Um, so, on the professional side of things, in terms of my work uh, work with him, he was yeah, he was he was always Jim. Um, and then when I had the um, the time when I sat with him in his office and he talked about golf, I can I, my memory's a little bit hazy, but I'm pretty certain he was really um, really very very into his golf. Um, and he at his desk. This is this is what. This is what I always remember about Jim at his desk. He had his pictures of his kids, and um, we 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 talked family stuff. Um, and he loved his kids. Um, from what I could make out, he was you know a family man. We we never really discussed our wives because that just wasn't really our relationship in terms of our fr- if it was a call to friendship. Um, but I know that he he loved his kids. Do you remember any change in behaviour in those like weeks leading up to? when he disappeared in particular or well um i i did know that um and i and i can't honestly remember what we're working on um because it is a long time ago but um i think uh there was uh a bit of pressure put on him to to um provide some answers on a on a certain part of the process if i can remember correctly i could be wrong but i i do think that was the case and um, he did seem, ad- he did seem, if I could say the word, probably a little bit agitated. Um, there was probably a bit of pressure put on him by um, uh, by the management. But when I say pressure, I'm, I mean, um, you know, it was just that was what we did. You know, we worked and we had to Normal. provide answers and solutions and get the job done, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'd imagine so, it's sort of a high stress, you know, it's just the, the nature of the job. It is the nature of the job, and when you throw shift work into it, and um, you know, uh, it, it it can become I 
things can become a bit stressful, um, you know. Um, and at that time, the mill was running, if I remember correctly, the mill was running quite well um, in terms of, you know, we were we were pumping steel out. And um, I think we had, um, you know, so we, we sort of couldn't muck around, if you know what I mean, and we had to provide find answers. And quite often, you know, on the run, um, they were expecting answers almost straight away. There's that word that's been used to describe Jim's behaviour in the weeks immediately prior to his disappearance. Agitated. As you can imagine, working at a place like NZ Steel is going to be a relatively high-stress environment. I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars of steel being produced every day. And if there's any problem with this process, the production is going to be affected. In these weeks, it seems that the pressure on Jim had been ramped up beyond what would normally be expected. When Tracy said she came home from overseas to a person who seemed distracted, I think it's very reasonable to make the connection that this extra pressure at work could have been contributing to this. Jim was normally able to mentally leave his work at work, but it's possible that during this time it weighed on him heavily. I asked Stephen to take me back to the last time he saw Jim. A fleeting moment, but crucial in our understanding of Jim's frame of mind that morning. What you remember just talk me through the last time, you know, that that sort of meeting you had with, with Jim. Okay. Um, it was a it was almost split second, to be truthful. Yeah. Um, I was coming off shift. Uh, I think it was probably around about seven o'clock in the morning, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I walked out of my team leader's office, I'd just done a handover. Um, I walked out of the team leader's office, uh, and we have stairs from the, um, we're on the second floor. We have stairs from obviously below coming up into, onto the second floor, because Jim's office was next to my team leader's office. Um, I walked out, probably took two steps, looked, and, um, there was Jim coming up the stairs. And I always remember he, he looked, uh, disheveled. He looked, um, just for that split second, that's, uh, he, uh on reflection, he um, he looked like you know when you are just about to do something and then you remember something and you're like you're going to walk back backwards. It was like he almost didn't want to didn't want me to see him. So much has been said about that event, and I've thought it over a million times. But definitely, um, there was something that was not yeah. right. If I can, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So he's he's walking up just sort of when you're kind of just seeing each other. He suddenly turns and walks back the other way. Well, no, he he didn't because what? Sorry, what happened was um, as he sort of went to step, he stopped, looked at me, and I said, "Good morning, Jim." And I honestly can't remember when he whether he said anything because the team leader that I just handed over yelled out, "Hey, Steve." Um, and so I actually spun around and went back into the office, um, and and then that was the last I saw of Jim. Oh, so okay. whether he came up the steps uh, and walked past the office, I do not know, or whether he went back down, I do not know. Oh, but, he, but that but moment he in time, he was about two steps off the top of coming up onto the second onto onto the second story. Okay. Or floor. And you're saying, like, so, as, as he was walking, he sort of paused just at that he moment. He paused. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a strange pause, though. It wasn't 
you know, because normally if I'd have met Jim, he would have just kept, you know, to me, that's what always sticks in my mind is that, you know, he would have just kept walking. There was no reason. But it was like he he was trying to uh, avoid me. If, if I, if when I think back on it, you know, uh, obviously with all the, all the history of him disappearing, um, it, it definitely struck, struck me as he was, um, yeah, he, he didn't want to be seen. Yeah. That was what, that was the impression that I got now. Mm. Um, well, I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, you know that Anthony Carcow described a very similar thing. Um, yeah. You know where he but, said, yeah, Tony, Tony, yeah, Tony, Tony Carco, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, he said the same thing. He, I think, uh, I can't remember exactly where he was near the four high, and Jim came round, and then you know, at the time, I guess that they sort of saw each other. Suddenly, Jim turned, turned like as if he didn't know where he was going, and then went off in a different direction. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's that's that 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 exactly like. Yes, that's that's exactly how I I I I, I perceived it as a sort of a. Yeah, definitely something dif- very different out of Jim's um, normal yeah. way he would 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 been approached. Yeah, I mean, would uh, would you use the word sort of evasive? You know, he's yes, yeah, yes, uh, definitely. Yeah, but only ev- evasive as the fact that he was like he was out in the open and he couldn't go anywhere, um, like he couldn't step behind anything to 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 be avoided. He was he was there and. You know what I mean? Caught in time, like yeah. caught in that moment there on the step. Yeah, um, nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. I'm going to highlight a key word here, evasive, because this is exactly how Jim's actions have been described by multiple people that saw him that morning. Let's quickly go over these sightings. Just after 6am, A mill employee, heading to the toilet, walks past Jim standing at his locker, in jeans, with no shirt on. As the employee walks past, Jim shifts in a way to shield his locker. The employee goes to the toilet, which he says took two to three minutes. When he walks back past, Jim is still standing in the same position. He hasn't continued to get dressed, and again shields his locker. Shortly after this, Jim is sighted by Stephen Morris in the events we've just covered. Jim pauses in the middle of his step, as if he doesn't want to be seen. In Stephen's words, caught, with nowhere to go. Around the same time, Jim is sighted by Anthony Carcow. He states that he saw Jim walk towards the officers. He went to go into the six high, then changed his mind, and turned and walked to the pickle line side of the building. The next time Jim is seen by Dean Forsman at 8.30am, Jim is now wearing a different jacket, an orange swan dry type, and is seen walking in the area between the 6 high and the 4 high. I've since learned more about Anthony Karkow's sighting, and he was able to clarify that he didn't think Jim saw him, so Jim's odd changing of direction couldn't be described as evasive here but it clearly shows that he was between two minds about something. But the last direction he was seen walking was towards the pickle line side of the building. Stephen's statement about Jim's behaviour is for me the missing piece I needed to confirm that indeed Jim was acting evasively that morning. For some reason, he was trying to hide A, something in his locker, 
and be himself or what he was doing. Jim was up to something that morning. The same morning, he would disappear without a trace. Stephen and I continue to talk, and he makes a point of saying that he thinks it would be very unlikely the helmet could have been missed in the search. So around in circles, we go on that. I think we'll never have a definitive answer on the helmet and when it was placed. So both options will need to be taken into consideration. I explained to Stephen about the discovery that Jim's entire jacket appears to have gone into the acid bath. And eventually we discuss Dean Forsman's sighting at 8.30am and the fact that in this sighting there is one key difference to the others. Jim is now wearing a different jacket. The, the orange jacket that I think uh, that Dean had said is, is, is actually like a swanbride jacket. You know, it's, yeah. the, um, it's a swanbride jacket, but it's all, it's all orange. Mm, that's what but he it described like it swanbride, as. Yeah, swanbride jacket. Mm. And, um, you know, Jim may have, he probably was, he, he may have been issued. I don't know. You could probably check the, I don't know whether you check the records now, but obviously um, we, were, we were issued with different uniforms and, or different parts of the uniform and, Quite often, uh, in the winter, the guys would be issued with a, a swan dry jacket, yeah. um, a, an orange swan dry jacket. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if Jim had one of those in his locker. Yeah. Um, not, not surprised at all. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I don't have the list of Jim's issued uniform, and I'm not likely to be given it by NZ Steel. But multiple people I've spoken to from that time said these jackets were issued to everyone at the mill over a period of months, so it's quite possible he had one in his locker. But either way, given Jim's evasive behaviour that morning, we have to consider, could it have been this swan dry jacket Jim was concealing when he was getting changed at his locker. If Jim had himself placed his other NZ steel jacket in the acid and this was planned, then it would have been necessary to have another jacket, perhaps concealed underneath. Which is why he waited for the employee in the locker room to go to the toilet and back before continuing to get changed. I'm speculating here. But given Jim's behaviour, the discovery of the remains of Jim's other jacket in the acid, and then this final sighting of Jim wearing a different jacket, I think it's reasonable to conclude these things could be connected. We then move on to discuss Jim's pants being found. 
And Stephen adds some interesting insight here. Did you hear about his pants that were found in the steel mill laundry? Yes. Yeah. I, I heard that on the, the podcast, which I thought was mm. in the steel mill, which, I mean, yeah. but Jim came from that part of the world in the beginning. So, I mean, he would have had a good, um, he would have had a good idea of, you know, where and how and why in that plant. Um, so he could have, yeah, it just, that, that sort of, that's another sort of uh, another thing to look at. Oh, so that's it. So, yeah, so he, he did used to work in the steel plant. I believe so, yes. Just a small detail, but an important one. As I've said before, NZ Steel is a huge place, made up of different plants, like the rolling mills plant and the steel plant. Each of these need their own map, they're so large. And if you didn't know your way around another plant, it certainly wouldn't be as easy to locate something like, for example, the laundry. As he formerly worked in the steel plant, Jim would have been well aware of the layout and where the laundry would have been if it was indeed him that changed his cow-shit-covered pants here, as I believe he did. Stephen goes on to tell me about his thoughts on foul play before he asks me a question which I'm very interested in, and not for the first time. I personally think then, um, you know, on the record, off the record, or whatever you'd like to do, but yeah. I, I, don't think, um, I don't think anyone's bopped Jim on the head. I don't, um, I mean, I just don't see anyone, I would, uh, I mean, I don't know the guy down the road that is, is if I hate, hate to say this, you know, is a murderer, I don't know, but I don't think anyone at the mill is, <laughs> to me, was ever seemed that they would do anything mm. um, untoward to Jim, you know? Yeah. They might have yeah. told him that he was a blah, 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 but that was probably about as, as probably, you know, as worse as it, it could have probably got. Mm. Um Certainly nothing physical. So, yeah. hey, um, one thing, Ryan, yep. and, and there again, this is on the record, off the record, whatever. But um, you know, did did anyone ever say about the train? Well, the only thing is that um, the uh, I've, I have, you know, obviously contemplated it uh, a lot. And the thing that I have always thought is that, I mean, um, you know, Jim could have just uh, gone, you know, just under a tarp on a on a coil. And um, and that would have been the way he could have got out of the mill unseen, to me. Yeah. Tell me about where the trains used to come up in the rolling mills. Well, they... we had um, we had two or three different uh, platforms where the where the trains came in. Um, both uh, one very one actually one very close to Jim's office, um, and one a little bit away from Jim's office. So to me, uh, he could have. He could have quite easily. Uh, he, he, he basically walked down by a train um, to get to his office uh, all the time, like um, every day, kind of thing. Pretty much every day, because um, we used to load coils on at night and load coils during the day. Um, it was pretty much a twenty-four hours operation. So we, depending on um, when the trains came in, um, but we'd load coils and we'd put uh, tarps on them, and then. Um, Towards the end, we got away from that, and we actually had um, uh, carriages that uh, had, you know, um, uh, like, like containers for sliding doors on them. We and we, so we'd shut them. So I mean, and Jim would know that process off by he would he would have known um, how to how to operate it. It wasn't wasn't hard. So I always thought that um, you know Jim could have, you know, he could have jumped on the train. And, and, and disappeared it would have been he could have hidden a, he could look he could have hidden under a tarp 
for a few hours because I, I believe that the, the, the sort of timeline is that the, 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 he didn't he wasn't actually being looked for until later in the day. Yeah. So I mean, he could have gone in there in the morning. You know, um, even after I'd seen him, he could have could have gone and, and hidden under a tarp and um, disappeared. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, just, yeah. A, that's just a thought that I've had about how he could have got out without being seen. Yeah, it's funny that um, Mark Olson said the exact same thing. He said, you know, like there was one obvious thing that he felt had never been looked at, and that was this train that. You know, Jim would have seen it. It was like 20 yards from his office every day. You know, it's kind of like yeah. the, with a beacon on it saying, hey, jump on me if you want to get out of here. Oh, for real. I mean, I often, I often, you know, had a, you know, just a crazy thought, but I thought, oh, well, you know, you could, you could hide under the tarp if you really wanted to and disappear. Um, mm. You know, it's just that sort of, you have those stupid, just yeah. a stupid thought. But, so that, that's always, that's always to me is uh, because he wasn't seen. Um, and that's another thing about the mill, you know. Uh, there are a lot of people around, and there are a lot of people not around. But to actually not be seen is—it's so. I don't know, you know. I guess everything has to fall into place. You know what I'm saying, Ryan? Yeah. Everything, everything has to fall into place to, to just disappear. Hmm. And how often does that happen in a plan? Yeah. If, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, I totally. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the best laid plans. Someone comes out of the toilet. They've, you know, they've had a dodgy curry or something, and they shouldn't be there, but they were there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like you hadn't planned for that, but it happened. So, mm. if that, yeah, you know, I've often thought for him to just disappear, everything has to just be so spot on. Yeah. And that's why I thought about the train. It's just that he could have disappeared on the train quite easily. It's especially at night because I've. I've spoken to train people and they said that they actually got me the um, the timeline, the plan of, of the hours the train used to leave back at that time. And um, there was a train that left at 10.30 at night. But, you know, I sort of, because I've been told by a lot of people that at night the mill is skeleton staff and if you know where to move, you could move around without being seen. Um, oh, definitely. Definitely at night. Definitely. Yeah. And so. And, you know, when, yeah. to get, sorry, sorry, Ryan, to interrupt you. Yep. Uh, you know that eight, that missing in the morning to me, it's just like he must have. If he had somewhere where he knew he could probably hide um, until or disappear until night, would make sense. Yeah. Or jump on the train in the morning if there was a morning train. I can't remember to be correct, uh, to be truthful, but um, you know, um, definitely at night. It's and people move around at night, and uh, you're a lot more invisible. Yeah. At night. Stephen is exactly right when he says that everything has to go perfectly for someone to just disappear. Whether that's foul play and people avoiding being detected, or that's Jim himself perhaps hiding, then jumping on a train. It's clear that whichever option it was worked perfectly. So I guess when we're looking at this, we need to consider what's more likely. If we apply Occam's razor here, which option has the least number of elements? In the last episode, I spoke about a man that was apparently not happy in his job. Someone that appeared to be desperate to improve his situation. 
The next thing Stephen was about to tell me was, to be honest, something that deeply saddened me and still does to this day. I've included this because I believe it can provide some further insight and context as to Jim's mental state during this period of time. I'll add that Stephen was a bit torn as to whether he should say this, and I asked if he wanted this on the record. He paused, but said that anything he can add that might provide further clarity to this case and possibly bring a final solution, he felt should be shared. Um, you know, the mill was an arsehole of a place to work for some people, to, t- to tell you the truth. I, I, I have, a lot of, have a lot of respect for a lot of people that work there, but I have no respect for some of the people that work there. Um, it, was a, it was a bullying place. Um, and if I can say this, um, and hopefully, um, you know, I have probably have to be careful what I say, but um, there were a couple of people that, that probably gave Jim a very hard time uh, in upper management. Um, probably didn't think a lot of him um, and probably abused their powers. And I know that they put a lot of pressure on Jim. Towards the end there, I know that there was a lot of pressure put on him. Um, not so much me, um, but 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 Jim um, and I. The people that were the people that were sort of in charge of the process, uh, the management um, at that time. Um, not so much the team leaders, but the next sort of next line up. Um, they they did give him a hard time. They did think he. I, 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 yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit of a bullying culture. Is it, was he a bit of an easy target just because he was a bit socially, you know? He... I think so. I don't want to make Jim look like, uh, you know, but he was a, he was a. I mean, Jim was Jim, and and you know, we're all we're all different. But he he was he was a very studious, very um, honest. I think a uh, very capable man. But he, you know, he he was under a lot of pressure. And some of these people put a lot more pressure on him. And as I say, I think it was, I think to me, it, it, it got to the stage where he's almost being bullied. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? You know, imagine you've got that work culture at work, you go home and things are not great at home. He, I know that Tracy said that he actually wanted to get a job somewhere else, but Tracy wouldn't let him because she didn't want to move. So, right. So you're in a hopeless situation. You know, yeah, and you—that's you, the thing. I mean, at what point do you have to get to before you do make that decision? That right, like I—I I need to do something drastic. Well, I think you know. There again, what what you use is up to you. But I, I uh, just for for my my perspective is that I do think that it it, it doesn't surprise me that he disappeared. Um, how he disappeared and why and all, uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it yeah. it's not a surprise. It's it's always something that's been with me. But I I, I do know um, that he was. I, in my opinion, my impression was that he was he was being bullied. Yeah. That's the way. That's the only way I can. As I said, it was a like bloody boarding school. It was, a, you know, was a lot of crap that went on, man. Um, you know, there was a lot of money involved. People were earning money. You know, it was it was a very. Uh, it's quite it's quite a strange place to work. Like boarding school. This point struck a note with me. I went to boarding school, and I know exactly what can happen in that kind of environment to people that struggle to fit in, people that are easy targets. 
I've witnessed firsthand the type of bullying that can take place and seen the immense psychological damage it can have on a person. But if it's anything like boarding school, then times have changed. Boarding school today is nothing like it was 20 years ago. And to be clear, my understanding is that there have been huge shifts in the operation of NZ Steel also. I don't believe this type of behaviour is existent or condoned today. But 20 years ago, the world, like NZ Steel, was a very different place. Like, yeah, it was just a giant... It's just a giant clusterfuck at times, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, no, Jim was, he was, un- he was under a lot of pressure. He was under a lot of pressure. Mm. And, and now what, when I understand that, you know, things weren't great at home, it sort of makes a little bit more sense after all these years. It's, it's actually quite, it's been quite a bit of a comfort to me that you've, you've sort of delved into it and I've, I've sort of looked at it again because to tell you the truth, it, it has affected me in, in a, in a different sort of a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, if, I, I've just found it, you know, it's it's quite, it's, you know, it's sad. I just sort of think, what was the poor guy going through, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I feel very, I felt very upset for a long time that, um, you know, I didn't really do anything about it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. You're doing something yeah. now, so. You know something, Ryan, I'm, I'm just over the moon that I've, that I've, that I've come to this time in my life where um, I can almost put this behind me now um, because to tell you the truth Ryan it's bugged me and every time something happens and someone says something about Jim my heart skips a beat um, because it has it has had an effect on me it's, it's absolutely really strange and I don't know I just don't know why but it's just it's always made me feel so so bad <laughs> yeah no I mean I can I can understand that um, it's you know it, it's kind of it's nice to hear that you know in a way like that someone sort of you know actually did care sort of thing oh, I did care for Jim yeah um, yeah I did I mean I I, I cared for everyone actually <laughs> yeah, you sound like you sound like one of those guys I don't mean to but I, I just you know I, I, I just yeah I just see the good in people um, and Jim had a lot of good in him he did have a lot of good in him Dealing with this material, day in and day out, is incredibly draining and often emotionally very difficult. I find myself regularly at the end of a day of writing or interviews with a drink in my hand, sitting in silence, trying to process everything. Often there's so much negative, it can be hard to see the light. But every once in a while, a ray of light does break through the clouds. And in this case, Stephen is that glimmer of light. Someone from NZ Steel, a notoriously tough, man's man environment, that even after all these years, still finds Jim's disappearance emotionally difficult. And that's heartwarming. Stephen messaged me privately to say that a huge weight has been lifted off his shoulders that has tugged at him for almost 20 years. A feeling that he could have done more, that he should have done more, and that hopefully his contribution to this podcast can help shine more of a light on Jim and what he was going through at that time. We can understand now 
why Jim wanted to move far away, to Australia, to find a new job. He was desperate for a fresh start, a chance for new beginnings. How many days did Jim sit in his car in the car park before work, I wonder, in silence, steeling himself for the day to come? People that are bullied will often do one of two things. They'll either act out or they'll retreat into their shell, hiding their emotions away in an attempt to protect themselves. It takes a huge amount to stand up to bullies, and some of us don't have that in us. Some of us need someone else to stand up and say stop. But it seems that in Jim's case, he was on his own. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolfe. The title track is Nuclear Conception by Alison Winter. The opinions of guests of this podcast are just that, and are not necessarily the views of the podcast itself. You'll find further photos and videos related to this podcast on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, or our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can discuss the case with other listeners on our Facebook group, the Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. If you want to support this podcast and help make more great content, plus get ad-free listening and bonus content, you can subscribe for the price of a coffee on Apple Plus under our Brevity Studios channel. Or for non-Apple listeners, you can now subscribe on Acast Plus. You'll find the link in the description of this episode. You can also find further information on our website, theguiltpodcast.com. If you have any information related to the disappearance of Jim Donnelly, you can contact us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. On the next episode of Guilt. Yeah, look, he's a bit old to be suffering from a new episode of mental illness at all. So I would say, you know, that's a highly unlikely explanation for how he was behaving. Um, He didn't seem to have any other physical health problems that might have, you know, impacted on his mental health either. So we didn't see anything like that in the materials. I think um, what primarily comes across is that he started behaving in a different manner in the week before. And so the question for me then is, well, why? Um, I don't see any signs that he was suffering from paranoia or a psychotic illness or anything like that. So, you know, as I said earlier, I think it's far more likely that there's some sort of stress that's affecting him. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, 
you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.